Good morning, everyone. I was just sitting over there uh, this morning. Something has been in my heart just uh, for a couple of weeks now, and uh, I just really believe that the Holy Spirit is saying something to um, Joanne and Adam. Where are you? Raise your hand. I can't see. Oh, there you are. Uh, there's Adam. Where's Joe? Okay, at home. So God's saying, you're the real deal. It's, it sounds like something short, but David, King David, God's saying, King David was a man after my own heart. He was the real deal. This morning, we're going to talk about Paul, the apostle, and we look at Paul and we think about him if we turn our mind toward him and we see that this is a guy that's a real deal. And we think, are there any people that are the real deal anymore? Um, are they, do they exist? Are they like these people? Absolutely. Absolutely. Adam and Joanne, you're the real deal. That's what God's saying to you. Don't give up. Keep pressing into him. Keep trusting in the Holy Spirit. And he's got, uh, he's got your back. He's just going to take you guys forward magnificently. That's, that's a word. One other word I had was for Ellen. Um, it's just simply this. Jesus says, I'm having a, a really good time shining through you. I'm shining through you. Just, just keep that open heart and don't let it go. Jesus is shining through you. It's spectacular. I, I cry sometimes in my heart when I see it. And uh, so that's what God's doing uh, for you guys. So, hey, uh, we're in Philippians. And uh, who's enjoyed the sermon series in Philippians? Everybody. I saw everybody's hand go up, shot straight up. And um, <laughs> amazing. We're in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. We're going to look at today. And uh, this is my Bible. And, um, and I'd encourage you, if you've got a Bible, Grab it out, open it up. If you've got it in your app, by all means do that. But please don't look at Facebook during that period. But did you know that in the Bible, the Bible has all of the answers for your life? Each and every day. There's nothing um, that the Bible cannot address in your everyday circumstances. There's nothing that the Bible cannot do to take you forward in your everyday walking around life. I would implore, encourage um, and lift you up to take your Bible seriously. And this morning, as we look in the Bible, as we look in your Bible and my Bible, I pray, Lord God, that you would speak powerfully to us uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And we're in uh, Philippians 4, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. I just want to welcome my very good friend, Craig Hingston, uh, and uh, haven't seen him for years, and it's just so wonderful to have you here, mate reminded me of when we first met, you sitting on the end of a, a row in a seat in an auditorium and you're going, is this seat taken? And that's how I met this guy. And uh, the Lord has uh, been in our lives ever since. So great guy. Get to know him, Craig Hingston. Please make him feel very welcome. We want him to stay. Um, <laughs> no pressure, mate. He's just a visitor. You can only get one coffee. So uh, Philippians 4 verses 1 to 9. And I'm going to read just portions along the way instead of reading the whole scripture in one go so we can consume it in bite-sized pieces. Uh, therefore, this is verse four, uh, verse one, therefore my fellow believers whom I love and long for, my delight and crown, my wreath and victory 
In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. How easy is it to read that and just brush over it? Like, that's just the, that's just the fluff, isn't it? That's just the fluff of, of the scripture. And, we, and so easily, we can read through um, books, and in fact, actually, not a book, a letter uh, that Paul has written to the Philippian church and see so many parts of it as being fluff. Letter writing is a, is a thing of the past. Who still writes letters here, by the way? Oh, look, you know, so wonderful, wonderful. I, I love, I'm not a great letter writer. Uh, I love receiving letters. And uh, um, a good friend of mine, his mum still writes letters. She writes mammoth letters, big, long letters, very full of information. But she's spilling out her heart. And to know her, you know that what she's doing is she's sharing her heart with you when you receive that letter. She doesn't write to me. She writes to my mum. And uh, my mum receives letters and she says, I've got another letter from Robin. I need to sit down one day and read it. You know, it's not one of those things that you can just pick up and oh, flip through it. It's they're big. And, uh, and I think the value in letters is that we need to know who wrote them. Uh, in, unless we know who wrote them, we can read certain lines and just think they're fluff. Oh, that's just fluffy stuff. That's just the language that they're using. But you know what? Paul was the real deal. He never, ever wrote anything down that he didn't mean. Uh, he, he, he came from a position of heart and relationship. Paul loved God and he loved people. So when he wrote to people, he expressed his love to them fully and wholeheartedly um, with God as his witness. God was, he was a conduit for God and God's love. I think that it's important for us to know a little bit about Paul. And, uh, and I've, I've sort of toyed with this idea just over the last week, you know, will I just diverge from this scripture a little bit to find out a bit about Paul? And then this morning I sat and I read a little bit more about Paul and the Holy Spirit says, you must tell them about my servant Paul. You must, so they can understand why he's writing these things. So I do, I'm just, this is not on, you don't have to find this scripture on the, uh, on the overhead. I'm going to read to you, and I'll also sort of paraphrase along the way, some information about Paul. And you know that Paul was Saul, the great persecutor of the church. This guy was very considered, he was educated, um, and he was serious about what he did. He was very powerful. He was a powerful guy back then, um, before his conversion or before he fell in love with Jesus. I don't like the word conversion. I say before he fell in love with Jesus. He was, he was powerful in the sense that he had the ability to go about Christians' houses and cause for people to be removed from their home, men and women, and locked up. I say powerful. I don't say strong. I don't think that he was the muscle. I don't, you know, I think that he was possibly a fair-weathered hero. You know, in, uh, in a fair-weathered hero is, is, is this, uh, from my experience, a fair-weathered hero is when the police turn up and there's this guy there and he's got his friends around him and he's saying, hold me back, hold me back, I'm going to kill the police if you let me go. And then when you grab the guy and pop him into the back of the police truck and you take him home, or no, not home, to his new home, um, by the time he gets to his new home, he's no longer a hero. He's crying. 
I think that Saul was probably a fair-weathered, powerful man. I don't think that he had a great deal of strength, but that doesn't mean he didn't have a great deal of power. And, uh, and in fact, we know that, uh, that it says that when Stephen was stoned, Saul was there standing by giving his approval. So he wasn't stoning, he was just approving of it, he was sending the thugs to do it, and then Stephen's clothes were delivered to Saul's feet. And, uh, and then later we hear um, that Saul was, uh, was going about, he was actually on his way uh, to persecute some more Christians. He had like warrants for arrest, that type of thing, and he was on his way to, um, to Damascus. Thank you, Jeff. He was on his way to Damascus. See, you're tuned in. I like this. Um, who would think a pastor that's tuned in to the word? And, uh, <laughs> and he was on his way to, to Damascus. He was like, he was set up. Powerful Saul. And of course, we know that along the way, a bright light shone onto him and to those around him. Those around him just saw the light, but he heard the words and he looked and he said, Who are you, Lord? And the man answered, or the voice answered, I am Jesus whom you persecute. And we know the story, or you may know the story, and if you don't, it goes like this, that Saul was rendered blind and he was sent on his way to Damascus and and ahead. Now, get this. Before we even go there, this is Saul, the persecutor of the church, and Jesus, whom he persecutes, just spoke to him. I think to Saul, an astute man, that was a clue about something that was going on sparked his interest and the fact that he was then rendered blind I'm sure sparked his interest more he was sent on his way and uh, but then ahead of that Jesus spoke to a guy called Ananias and said look go to this house in Straight Street you're going to meet this guy called Saul and um, and uh, and I'll tell you what to do and he says to Saul you go to this place and when you get there I'll tell you what to do and they meet and uh, and Ananias goes something like this you've been brought here so I can heal you and fill you with the Spirit. And, uh, and that's what happened. Uh, Ananias laid hands on him. Uh, it says something like scales fell from Saul's face or his eyes and he could see again. He, he, um, and we understand that because he was sent there to be healed and filled with the Holy Spirit, that was God's purpose. It doesn't exactly say that's what happened. That's what happened. He was healed and he was filled with the Spirit. He ate some food. He got baptised, so he's now a believer. How is he a believer in Jesus Christ when just a little while ago he was saying Jesus was heresy? Jesus is heresy. You know, and in fact, anybody that believes in Jesus, grab them, lock them up, whip them, punish them, change their minds. But now, here we have this Saul. He is healed of his blindness and I think that's more than just physical blindness. I think that's of his spiritual blindness. And he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what happens is that he eats some food and straight away he goes out and starts preaching Jesus Christ crucified. And, you know, and we hear from there on in, over time, Saul goes about preaching Jesus crucified, adding many believers to the church over time, and he, he is strengthened in his faith, faith and his resolve. Um, he actually says that in 2 Corinthians, because of my new faith, which I'm really serious about, he says, this is what happened to me. He says, I got flogged 
with 40 lashes five times. He said, he said I, I got beaten with rods three times. He said, I got stoned once. Not stoned, but people threw stones on him. He said, I got shipwrecked three times because, you know, he was going about the region many times by ship, pretty precarious business, sailing by ship around at that time um, in those little boats. And he got shipwrecked three times. Uh, he, was, um, he, was, he was constantly in danger. He felt the danger. So this is a man who used to stand against Jesus Christ vermintly out of his own indignance and education and now he was risking his own life and his own position um, uh, so that he could now take Jesus to the masses. So he was constantly in danger. You know what? And in that list of things, you know what he adds to this? Now, I think this is very telling about Paul and his love for the people. He said, and added to all that was my great concern for the church. He, he thought, he knew that in his heart, his concern for the church was as high on the agenda and as, and as burdensome, in a sense, as being flogged and whipped and shipwrecked and hungry and under persecution. This is the guy who wrote this letter to the Philippian church that we're reading about and we just thought that verse 1 was just one of those fluffy lines. Uh-uh, my friends. Definitely not. And we know that further down the track in, uh, in Acts 15-ish, um, Saul's on his way and about and he wants to go to Asia and, uh, and the Holy Spirit forbids him to go there. You're not going there. This is a clue. This is a clue about who Paul was. He was in touch with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was speaking to him. He was seeking the Holy Spirit's direction in all the things that he did and the Holy Spirit said, you can't go to Asia, keep going on around. And then... He has this vision in the middle of the night and the vision is a man and he's the man's, man's from Macedonia and the man says, come down here, we need your help. You know what, straight away Saul knew that this is actually an ordained vision by the Lord. So what does Saul do? He goes and he ends up in a place in a city called Philippi. This is Philippians. This is where Philippian church started. He met Lydia um, uh, she was. Uh, she fell in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Her family fell in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. They were baptized. They were believers. They encouraged Saul to stay, and he stayed. And then, you know, just a few days later, he's wandering around, and there's this girl, and she's following him around, and she's saying, um, she's saying something like, "These people here, they are the servants of the Most High God." And, she, and what she was doing was tormenting them. This is an evil spirit in this girl. And this went on for days. And then Saul turned around, uh, Paul turned around, and he went, he went, you know, in the name of Jesus, get out of this girl. And, and the evil spirit left. But, of course, that made her masters angry. And what happened next was that Saul and uh, Paul, I keep saying Saul, Paul and Silas were, were grabbed, were taken before the magistrates. They were whipped they were flogged. This is one of the floggings that Paul has talked about. This is the thing that makes him so most passionate about, well, it's a demonstration of his passion for the church, for people and for God. He was willing to be whipped and imprisoned for the sake of Christ. And he was whipped and he and Silas were thrown into jail. And does it sound like a familiar story to you? Because it's one of those stories that I learned in Sunday school. And, and, and that evening, after having been whipped, 
You know, they, they were in the cells and they were crying and complaining about their circumstances and how hard life has become for us and following Jesus is not easy. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. That was my paraphrasing. What really happened was that around midnight, while the blood was still dripping off their backs, they were worshipping Jesus. They were worshipping the Lord they were praising his name. They were praying into the circumstances. They were praying, oh, Lord, Lord God, I can imagine the prayer. Lord God, our jailers, oh, they so need, they so need the Lord Jesus. Look at me, look at me, God. I was sore once and I went around persecuting people. I can't blame them for locking me up and having me here because I was that man just a little while ago. And, and around midnight when they were praying and praising Jesus, a mighty earthquake happened and, the, and the, the doors flung open, and the chains fell off. And then when the jailer saw that this was happening, heard what was happening, felt that it was happening, saw that his prisoners were about to escape, he said, I'm going to kill myself. And Paul said, stop. You know what? Paul could have gone, ah, jailer, good riddance. You know, these guys, they're just out there to persecute the church. They're just, they're just out there to uh, hold... Christians in jail for no good reason, to have them flogged for no good reason. No. Paul loved people. He loved people so much that he was willing to surrender his freedom. And he went, don't kill yourself. Don't kill yourself. Just, it's okay. We're still here. And right there and then, another miracle happened. And the jailer said, what must, what must I do to be saved? And he said, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your family. And he and his family were saved. They grabbed, the jailer then grabbed Paul and Silas, took them home. Not a good idea, is it, Adam? And uh, can't take the prisoners home. Um, but maybe you can. Took them home and, uh, you know, another miracle happened then. The magistrates went, hang on, we should actually let these guys go. Sent the message, they let them go. Well, little did the magistrates know that uh, they were, had already got out. But uh, that's okay. God looks after the details. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? So, th so I'm, I'm going to try and cover off some points in the few minutes I've got left. <laughs> Unless you want me to stop now. So now this is the guy that's writing the letter to the Philippian church. This is the guy whose letter you are now reading. And he says, my fellow believers whom I love and I long for, my delight and crown, my wreath of victory. My wreath of victory, it says, it says because, you know, I got whipped, I got flogged, I got shipwrecked, but I still manage to tell more people about Jesus and you're still loving Jesus. That's my wreath of victory. You know, that's that thing that I wear with pride, not, not human pride, but my love for Jesus Christ, that kind of pride. And he says, you know, something he says, he says, he says, in this way, stand firm in the Lord. Of course we're going to stand firm in the Lord. No, he's not saying that. He's actually saying, he says, please, 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 please keep on being faithful to the Lord. Please. I know how important it is. God's plan is massive. You're a part of it. He chose you. He recruited you. He wanted you to be a part of his plan. Please, please be, keep on being faithful to the Lord. Verse 2, I urge Euodia and I urge Sintichi to agree and to work in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, I ask you, my true companion, to help these women to keep on cooperating, for they have shared my struggle in 
the cause of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Come on, something was going on there between Euodia and Sintichi and it was disunity. Disunity, it happens with people. Stuff happens and, and we get offended by each other. You know, we hang around with each other. I often say to people, hang around with me long enough and I will offend you. And uh, by no hope from my own heart. But the issue is, is, is we will be offended. Marilyn has said this many times over the last couple of weeks. I'm going to quote her. She said, we will be offended, but it's what you do with that offence that makes the difference. You know, offence is a fantastic opportunity for grace. It's a fantastic... And Paul knew this. And, you know, <laughs> the thing about it is Paul just didn't want a fluffy, happy church that got along together. He knew that there was something at stake here. He knew that unity represents the victory of the cross. You know, we were once enemies of God. We were once at enmity with him. And because of the cross, we are brought together. We are the body of Christ. And because of what the cross has done, he has united us as a force to be reckoned with against the evil powers and principalities of this present age. Did you know that in unity, unity repels the attack of the evil one. And in fact, we are told, I'm, I'm actually ahead of where I'm, turn that page, because I can't remember the scripture. <laughs> it says, we are told in, uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 12, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, our struggle is not against humans, got that? So you're, you're having difficulty with another human then, then really, yes, there's a part of it from their point of view that plays into this, but Satan is in control of the opportunity of disunity. So we struggle not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. Did you know what? Paul knew this. He knew, this is why he even bothered to address this Euodia, Sinchichi, little spat that they're having. He knew it. He just knew that this thing had the opportunity to give Satan a foothold in the church. Did you know that Satan has no authority in the church except for that which we give him? We give it to him in our relationships. If you've got a bad relationship with someone, if stuff's not going well, how's that going for you? How is, how is unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, self-indignance, um, self-righteousness going for you in that circumstance? Sometimes it is better even when you are in the right to apologise for the sake of the unity. I had a friend once, and um, I've got friends, still a friend. Um, I had one friend once, and, uh, um, and uh, Debbie, and she was in our home group, and she was a very bitter woman. She's very angry about everything. And uh, the, most, um, the, the most focus of her anger was her, her mother. She just did not get on with her mother. They, they hated each other. Lived in the same town. They would just turn away from each other. And, um, and I challenged her. The Lord challenged her through me. I'm not that wise. I challenged her to start praying, grace, grace, grace into this forgiveness you know sometimes it's just too hard to forgive just 
I just find that sometimes it's just too hard for us to give. Stuff happens to us that's just horrible, not good. So we prayed. Debbie and Marilyn and I prayed and some others from our home group. We prayed over weeks and weeks and weeks. Anyway, one home group, I still remember this, <clears throat> one home group, she came to us uh, and she was overjoyed. She said, you will not believe what happened. I said, what happened? She said, I saw my mum in IGA today. I don't think it was IGA then. What was it called? Half case, something or other. I saw my mum in half case. I'm going, what's so unusual about that? She said, when I turned around, she embraced me and said, I'm sorry. And we stood in the supermarket together blubbing like babies. She's a very embarrassing, but we're, it's, we're being healed. Grace, grace. You know what? Bitterness, anger, strife, envy in our hearts is always going to be that. But grace will wash all those things away. And you know what? Just um, that's such that I, I'm so encouraged by, by what God was able to do in that. He's able to do that in your circumstances. If you have discord with friends or other people in your, in your cycle, circumstances, in the church, wherever it might be, God wants to work an act of grace in that. Paul knows that because he wants Satan out of the church. He doesn't want Satan under, under, undermining any of our relationships. The next verse, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, delight, take pleasure in him, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit, your graciousness, unselfishness, mercy, tolerance and patience be known to all people. The Lord is near. How's that going for you? It's not fluffy words. Paul's serious about this. He's saying your graciousness, your unselfishness, your mercy, your tolerance and patience be known to all people. I don't know about you, but I don't always exhibit those things. I don't always have those things spilling out of my natural life. But there's a resource for that. There's a resource for our life as Christians that take us forward and help us to be the things, the people that God wants us to be. Did you know that the, actually the work of the flesh, so that the work of our old life is actually the opposite to those things. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't serve those things. These things here, um, the works of the flesh are immoral ways, filthy, filthy thoughts, shameful deeds, idol wor worship and witchcraft, hatred toward others. You're hard to get along with. Jealousy, anger, selfishness. That's the works of the flesh. I hope that's not an, a, 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 a list of the things that represent you but I suspect that as we struggle with our old flesh, some of those things arise within us and help and, and stop us from exhibiting those things of graciousness, unselfishness, mercy, tolerance and patience. But guess what? The fruit of the Spirit, you know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Get this, but the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is the result of His presence within us. So the fruit of the Spirit is a result of his presence in us, got this, get this, is love, unselfish concern for others, joy, inner peace, patience. Not the ability to wait, but how we act while waiting. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You know, if, if <laughs> Paul's telling us this stuff. He actually wrote that. What he's saying to us is that in your 
everyday walking around life in order to be the most powerful and effective people you can be in Christ is you need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will work those things out of your life. He will manifest those things in and through you. You'll find you have a new love and patience and kindness towards others that you have never had. Sometimes you'll surprise yourself. That person was just so rude to me, but I just smiled and I exhibited something back that wasn't really of me. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a fruit of the flesh. So, you know, if you're, this is a resource. This is something that, that if we desire to be the kinds of people that Jesus want us, wants us to be, needs us to be, not just wants us to be, he needs us to be because he has a, a mission on earth to save all of humanity. In order for him to achieve his mission, we need to be the people that he needs us to be. And he doesn't leave us without resource. And that resource is the Holy Spirit. He will take a hold of your everyday walking around life and he will magnify it for his purposes and you'll be a better person for it too. You'll be more lovable. We might even love you more. <laughs> you might be more loved. <laughs> Did you know that how the world knows? Do you know how the world knows that we're the church? It's not because of the building. It's not because of the music or any other such thing. But John 13, 35, it says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is Jesus saying this. If you have love and unselfish concern for one another. That's everyone. Love and unselfish concern for everyone. This is an important mission of the church. It's for us to love each other. This is something that Paul is writing to, to the to the Philippian church, to encourage them to be these kinds of people in and through the power of the Holy Spirit so that God's purposes will prevail and so that God will um, bring Jesus back just at the right time and so that, um, that every knee and every tongue shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Very, very near, near the, the end, my friends. Just this quickly. An instruction with a promise. I love these scriptures. Instruction with a promise. It's easy. Like, if you want this, do this. It's really, I love it. It's so simple. It's good for me, it's like for my brain. And it says, uh, verse 6, Don't be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, every circumstance and, and, and situation, so in everything, and I, I, I fight with this a little. Sometimes I think, oh, no, I'm just better off running it myself and, uh, and I can handle that, don't have to bring that to God. But really, what's, what's Paul saying here? In everything, in everything, every circumstance, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, continue to make specific, your specific requests known to God. So Paul is, Paul is saying to the Philippian church, take everything to God in prayer. Take everything. And what's the promise? You might ask. And the promise is, and the peace of God, that peace which assures the heart, reassures the heart, that peace which transcends all understanding, that peace which stands guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, it's yours. Who needs peace? Who needs peace here today? No one? Right, look, let's, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to close my eyes so I can't see you and I want everybody that needs peace in their life to raise their hand now. If it's missing, if it's missing in part, start bringing this stuff before God. Start bringing every circumstance and situation 
before God. And his promise is that that peace that surpasses all understanding will be yours. It's going to be yours. You're missing peace? That's it. Put your hands down. I can see them. <laughs> finally, uh, see, finally, you like that. Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word. We live in this world where everything goes. There's so much out there that is the new truth. The new truth about this, the new truth about that. But you know what I say? I say, let's go back to the word of God. Everything that is confirmed by the word of God, it, is, it says here, it's worthy of respect, it's honourable and it's right and it's confirmed of the word of God. Whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace. You know what? If you're involved in a conversation and it's not lovely and it's not bringing peace, don't be involved in that conversation. If you're having thoughts that are about things that aren't lovely and aren't peaceful, surrender them to, to God. Take them back to him in prayer. Be in your word. Let's just wash that stuff away. It's vitally important for the activity of God in the church here, in, here today that we live the lives of those kinds of people that push that stuff aside. Whatever is admirable and good of good report, repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Centre your mind on them and implant them in your heart. Let's start digging for gold, folks. Let's start looking for the good stuff in life. Let's look for opportunities to bless people and to encourage them and to lift them up. Love God, love people. Love is not just a word, it's action. Let's start seeing people in need and reaching out and touching them. They're the lovely things that God is talking about. Let's meet people's needs with love and true concern and compassion. The things, verse 9, last verse. You might think that even now, you might think this is all a little bit too hard. This might be just all a little bit too difficult and a little bit all too fanciful that a person could actually exhibit even some of these attributes but definitely not all of them. Paul says otherwise. He says, he says verse 9, he says, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things in daily life. And the God who is the source of peace and well-being will be with you. Paul is the living example, a living example. I'm hoping not the only one and I'm certain of it. He is a living example that it is perfectly legitimate to think that a person can live a life that is representative of the kingdom of God. Not just, not just out of our own strength and certainly not out of our own strength, but out of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You know what? Peace in your life, the kind of peace that God can bestow upon you is gold. It's total gold. My mum just nearly finished. My mum um, hates dentists. She's from the era, you know, where they, where they drilled and drilled and drilled and filled, drilled and filled, and then they dug out the filling and drilled and filled some more. And so my mum's, over the years, has slowly lost her teeth. She'll hate me for saying this. And, uh, but she had to go to the dentist and she was putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And she's a great faithful woman of God. Seriously, she is. She, her her favourite verse is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And uh, she just... She's just praying. She's going, oh, I'm just going to lay this fear at your feet. I want the peace that you have promised me so that I can go and sit in that dental chair and, uh, and enjoy myself. And she went off to the dentist. And that afternoon, she came back. She said, you, would, she, you wouldn't believe this. <laughs> and um, 
She's doubting my faith. Uh, You won't believe this, but when I sat in that chair, those people were so kind to me. She said it felt so relaxing. The chair was comfortable. There was nice music. There was no pain. I didn't have any fear at all. Now, if you knew my mum, that was not of the flesh. That was of the spirit. Mum so desperately relies upon the power of God. She's 82 and, and uh, you know, she's a widow and, uh, and she's, while she's got people around her that love her, she still feels lonely and, uh, and yeah, she, she, more than ever, she needs Jesus in her life. You know, she's the only woman I've ever met, the only person I've ever met that's actually seen Jesus face to face. He stood in her room one night in, in despair when she was young and I was only very, very young and, uh, and he just blessed her with his presence. And she, oh, this is the Jesus that exists. He's, he's not a fictitious character in this book. He's real. Jesus is real. He's got purpose. He's got plan. He's coming back. Remember that, that scripture there? I've missed that. The Lord is near. Why are you doing this? Because the Lord is near. But yes, the Lord is near. He's here. So if, if we are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of us. But guess what? He's coming back. Jesus has come back today, tomorrow, next week, the year after. It doesn't really matter. It matters that he's coming back. He's got a plan and we're still part of it. This is the letter. This is a letter of love of people, love of God to the Philippian church, but we're reading it now, so it's to us. So I just want to pray over you. Thank you, Lord God. We bless you. We honour you. We surrender our lives again before you this morning. We would pray that you would come in and touch our hearts, that you would heal us of any unforgiveness, any bitterness and strife, that you would again show us your ways and that you would guide us along your paths by the power of your spirit, that you would strengthen us into tasks that we would never ever think possible from within. Have your way in our lives, we pray. I pray, Lord God, for your mighty blessing across this gathering of your saints. May they be totally blessed this day. I pray for those that are being baptised. Oh, Lord God, visit us in that space. Let it be a, a, a heavenly celebration that cannot be denied. We lift this up to you in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen.